This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This week, we have episode 242 entitled, The Prophet Like Moses. We're continuing to work through the significant Old Testament messianic prophecies, these passages from the Hebrew Bible that tell us about the coming Messiah, in order that we may better understand his person, his role, his significance, and of course his relationship to the God of Israel. This week we'll be looking at the prophet like Moses coming out of Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is a very interesting figure because on the surface, he actually doesn't look like someone who is actually the Messiah. He just looks like a very prominent and premier prophet. But when we get to the New Testament, it becomes clear that it is Jesus Christ who is this prophet like Moses. And so the New Testament confirms any suggestions that we might have had regarding the ultimate messianic status of this very important prophet figure. So here are some of the questions I would like to explore in this week's episode. First, who is the prophet like Moses, and how messianic is he in his original passage? Second, what is the relationship between the prophet and the God of Israel that speaks through this prophet? And lastly, How does the New Testament understand Jesus in regard to this prophet? And which New Testament author is the most influenced by this prophet's description? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the origins of the prophet like Moses. This prophet appears at the beginning of his biblical journey in the book of Deuteronomy. At least he is prophesied in Deuteronomy. And so our passage is going to be Deuteronomy 18, and we're going to start in verse 15. Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of Yahweh your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. Yahweh said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. That's Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. And boy, oh boy, do we have a lot of really fascinating data in regard to this particular prophet figure. Let's begin from the start of this passage. Moses is speaking, and he is telling the people that Yahweh 
is going to raise up for them a prophet. And to raise up a prophet in this passage indicates that God is going to put him on the scene. God is going to install him into his prophetic ministry. We also learn something about the origins of this prophet. This prophet is going to be someone who is like Moses. That's what Moses says. The prophet will be like me. And he's going to be someone from among you, namely from among your countrymen. This means that he's going to be a child of Israel. He's going to be an Israelite. So right here, we're already distinguishing the potential persons who could fulfill the identity of this prophet. We can see that he is distinguished from Yahweh, so he's not the God of Israel, which would be very strange because a prophet by definition is someone who speaks on behalf of God. A prophet is not God himself. And we also learn that this figure is someone who is an Israelite. The Israelite is someone who's not a Gentile. So we can narrow down the potential identity of this particular prophetic figure. I should also indicate, uh, based on certain Christological understandings of Jesus, that this prophet figure, because he is someone from among the countrymen of Israel, this means that he is not a heavenly figure, he's not a angelic figure, he's certainly not an archangel like Michael. Now, we have God himself repeating the statement that Moses said in verse 18, God saying that I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. So the important things are repeated there. And then we learn something very interesting about how God is going to function with this particular prophet. He always says in verse 18 that I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So even though a typical prophet is certainly a spokesperson for God, here the sense is a little bit more emphasized. God is going to put his words into the mouth of this prophet. This prophet is literally going to be speaking the words of God. He has the authority of God behind him. And this prophet is going to speak all the things that God says. And because of this, people that don't listen to this prophet are ultimately rejecting Yahweh because the prophet is speaking the words of Yahweh. And that's why there is a threat in verse 19. Whoever does not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And it's very clear here that although the prophet is speaking God's words, and the prophet speaks in God's name, meaning the prophet has the authority of Yahweh. He speaks Yahweh's words, and he is authorized with the authority of Israel's God. It is important to note that the two are very distinguished. Yahweh says that his words, the words of Yahweh, are being spoken by another person. It says, Whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name. So although there is this interplay between Yahweh investing his authority and his own speech into this Israelite prophet, the two are never confused. They're not collapsed together. 
and no serious person is going to look at this prophet and to say that, oh, this person is speaking the words of God and he bears the authority of God. He must be God himself. That would be to completely misunderstand the function of the prophet, the prophetic sending, and of course the Jewish principle of agency. And to be quite clear, even though the prophet is someone that is speaking the words of God, God says that I myself will require it of him. This, of course, indicates that Yahweh is a single self. When you use a singular pronoun like that, myself, that means that Yahweh is one person. So we have a good Unitarian passage here indicating that God is a single person. And, of course, God is able to invest his authority. He's able to invest his words into a human prophet, and this human prophet is able to speak in the name of Yahweh. This prophet is highly authorized, he's highly qualified, and he's someone that the people need to listen to. So that's the origins of this prophet like Moses. Presumably this prophet could come along and say things after Moses that would have more authority than Moses or could change what Moses had said because Moses actually endorses this particular prophet. So when you read through the rest of the Old Testament, there are lots of prophetic figures. You've got Isaiah, you've got Jeremiah, you've got Ezekiel, you've got the Twelve, but we don't actually get the sense that any of those persons are the prophet, namely the prophet that Moses talked about, the prophet like Moses. We don't get that particular sense. But we do get a little bit of confirmation as to how the Second Temple Jews were understanding this prophetic figure. So let's move to our second point. Point number two, the intertestamental expectation of the prophet. So we'll be looking at a couple passages out of First Maccabees in order to get a sense as to how these Jews in the Second Temple period were thinking about this prophet figure. And so the first passage we'll look at is in 1 Maccabees chapter 4, verses 44 through 46. This passage is talking about the temple priests that are looking to clean up the temple that has been desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes. And we'll get a sense as to the context of that as we read this particular passage. So starting in verse 44, it says that they, these are the leaders of the temple, they deliberated what to do about the altar of burnt offering, which had been profaned, and they thought it best to tear it down so that it would not be a lasting shame to them that the Gentiles had defiled it. So they tore down the altar and stored the stones in a convenient place on the temple hill until a prophet should come to tell them what to do with them. First Maccabees chapter 4 verses 44 through 46. So we see here that these people within the temple are looking forward to some sort of prophetic figure that has the authority to tell them what to actually do within the temple. This prophet figure presumably has more authority than the high priest. Maybe more authority than a king. Granted, this time 
there was not an official king of Israel, especially during the Maccabean Revolt. But they were still looking forward to this particular prophetic figure to come. There was a prophetic figure to come, and this prophet actually had authority to tell the temple officials what to do in the temple. That is an awful lot of authority for this particular prophet. Now, we don't actually know if this prophet is the particular prophet that Moses was talking about, but what we can see is that they were looking forward to some sort of prophet figure. But we might get a little bit more confirmation in the next passage. So a little bit later in 1 Maccabees in chapter 14, verse 41, it says that the Jews and their priest have resolved that Simon should be their leader and high priest forever until a trustworthy prophet should arise. 1 Maccabees 14, verse 41. So again, we can see that the Jews and the priest are here willing to acknowledge the leadership of a particular person. This is Simon the high priest, a very famous high priest in the history of Israel. However, they are looking forward to a particular prophetic figure that is going to show up. He is going to appear and effectively function as a more authoritative leader than even the high priest. So there's this strong emphasis on a coming prophet that has an awful lot of authority. And so it's very likely that they are looking forward to this particular prophet that was discussed in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. So let's move to the New Testament and look at how the New Testament authors understand this prophetic figure in relation to Jesus. This moves us to our third and final point, point number three, the New Testament portrayals of the prophet. Now it may come as a surprise that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have nothing to say about this prophet figure from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. It's clear that they, these evangelists, regard Jesus as a prophet. Jesus calls himself a prophet. He does prophetic ministry. But he's not described as the prophet, the very specific prophet from Deuteronomy 18. Now we do get this emphasis in the Gospel of John, and there are a lot of references to the prophet in the Gospel of John. In fact, the narrative begins by asking John the baptizer whether he is the prophet. Let's look at that passage. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 19, it says, This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one 
whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. That's John chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. So here we can see in the New Testament times that the expectation of the prophet like Moses, very specifically the prophet, the prophet here, um, is the prophet that perhaps John the Baptist is thinking that he is. And so he is straight up asked, are you the prophet? These are the Pharisees that are sent from the priests and the Levites in Jerusalem, and they want to know if he is the prophet. He says, no, he is not. And then the question gets asked again in verse 25, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, and if you're not the prophet? It would seem that these Jews understood the prophet as someone distinct from the Christ. They didn't think that the prophet was a particular messianic person. But what we actually learn later in the Gospel of John is that Jesus is, in fact, this particular prophet. And that makes sense, because in the Gospel of John, Jesus is the Word made flesh, which means that Jesus is the embodiment of God's authoritative speech. Jesus speaks the words of God. He speaks the commandments of God. And who more authorized to do that than the prophet like Moses, in whom Yahweh himself places his words, grants his authority, and allows his prophet to speak in his name. Let's look at the next passage in John. In John chapter 6, the prophet and the discussion about the prophet appears again. So in chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. That's John chapter 6, verses 11 through 15. So, an interesting thing happens here. Jesus performs a sign, which is a miracle within the Gospel of John, particularly the dividing of the fish and the loaves. And after he does this, the people perceive that he is the prophet, the prophet coming into the world, the prophet that's going to be raised up by God. And then they go a step further and they think, oh, well, this prophet is uh, someone that we think could actually be the king, and they perceive to make him the actual king. Jesus, of course, is not looking to be enthroned as a king just yet. He knows that that enthronement, at least in the theology of the Gospel of John, is something that happens at the cross. But we can see here that the expectation of the prophet, not just any old prophet, the particular prophet is alive and well. Jesus performs a miracle, and he is assumed to be this particular prophet. Jesus doesn't deny it. He doesn't say that's wrong. He just gets away from them 
before they can do anything about their suggestion. But here, interestingly, in my opinion, the prophet seems to be tied to the ability to perform miracles of giving wholeness and food. And there's an association that this prophet might be a royal figure, might be a kingly figure, despite the fact that we saw from John chapter 1 that the prophet seems to be someone that is distinct from the Christ. So perhaps there was some variation in regard to the identity and the function of this particular prophet in the first century. Let's look at the next passage. In John chapter 7, verse 40, we can see that some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. John chapter 7, verses 40 through 43. So we can see here that Jesus again assumed to be the prophet, very specifically the prophet, not just any old prophet, the particular prophet, the one that everyone is looking forward to. But there are some of the crowd that, again, seem to suggest that the prophet is someone distinct from the Christ. Because in verse 40, some were saying this is the prophet. Verse 41, others are saying this is the Christ. They seem to think that those are two distinct persons. But Jesus is both of these persons. He is the anointed king, God's king of the kingdom. And of course, he is the prophet in whom Yahweh places his words and his authority. Now, the next time the prophet like Moses is discussed is in the book of Acts in two particular passages. And this, of course, unambiguously applies this to Jesus in the inspired preaching of the early church. So in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 22, Peter is giving one of his famous speeches, and he says that Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. That's Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. And the passage actually goes on and it indicates that God has raised up Jesus and sent him to you, indicating that God has raised up Jesus in line with this prophetic expectation. So here, we actually have the passage from Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, explicitly cited without any question and used in reference to Jesus. Jesus is not just a prophet, he is the prophet, the prophet that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 18. And the book of Acts repeats this point in Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7, verse 37, where Stephen says that this is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Acts 7, verse 37. And at the end of Stephen's speech, it becomes very clear that Jesus is this particular prophet, and unfortunately, he is a prophet that has been rejected by the people. So those are the references in the New Testament that talk and refer to 
this particular prophet from Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18. It's quite clear that the New Testament authors, those that actually discuss this, namely John and Luke, the author of the book of Acts, both regard Jesus as the prophet like Moses. And what that means about Jesus is that he is someone who is distinct from Yahweh. He is someone who speaks Yahweh's words. Yahweh puts the very words of God into the mouth of this particular prophet, which makes Jesus highly authorized. And Jesus is able to speak in the name of Yahweh. And so we have a human figure who is an Israelite, someone who is distinct from Yahweh, who speaks the words of Yahweh, has the authority of Yahweh, and speaks in Yahweh's name. And that is someone that is a human being. He's a member of the human race. And that, of course, is very good biblical Unitarian theology. One God who is a single person in a highly authorized, highly qualified human being, the Messiah, Jesus. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we look at the very important Messianic prophecies stemming from 2 Samuel 7, which involve the promise Davidic king. Please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for absolutely free by subscribing on iTunes or YouTube, by giving us an honest review online, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to offer a donation to the podcast, you can check out the episode description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.